Well, we have finally made it. We've arrived at the last chapter of Luke, book two, this incredible journey that we started uh, nearly a year ago here in the book of Acts. We have two more studies. We'll be tonight, next Sunday night, and tonight a, a study entitled Making the Best of It. Now, you would think you've been journeying with us and journeying along with the Apostle Paul and Luke as they've drifted across the Ionian Basin of the Mediterranean Sea, as they've suffered a perilous journey, an incredible storm, a shipwreck, and now they're going to be stranded on on an island. You would think somebody at some point in time might be praying in that group, God, can't this be enough? Isn't this, uh, you know, could we kind of catch a break here? And, and it is just this perfect picture of our lives and really the spiritual warfare that virtually every one of us, if we don't undertake in a manner that's quite as severe as this, certainly we will go through things in our own lives uh, that will parallel this. And it looks in this passage, as we, as we wrap up the book of Acts, uh, to be a place where we can really kind of start to draw in on a central, central thing tonight. We can either look at those storms and shipwrecks and perilous journeys and the things that we go through as, you know, God hates us or God's chasing, chastening us or the world's a mess, or we can look at them as the Apostle Paul does, as an opportunity for the Lord to use us. As much as we might not pick this way for God to use us, we can choose to look at everything as an opportunity in the hand of God to be able to be used of him. And I think that comes into view uh, tonight here after the shipwreck has occurred, they're now going to be on land as we begin the 28th and the final chapter here of the book of Acts. And so before we dig into the first 10 verses, and we'll finish up uh, next Sunday and, and conclude our study here, and just in case you're wondering, uh, we're going to go to the beginning after this, and we're going to begin in the beginning in the book of Genesis once we finish this. So uh, get ready for an eight-part series on the creation Uh, to begin that particular study. So we're going to have a great time in the book of Genesis. And so tonight, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the promise of Scripture that you indeed, as Romans 8.28 says, do work all things together for the good, for those who love you, God, and are the called according to your purposes. Lord, you uh, synergize things that seemingly can't be brought together. Lord, you take perilous journeys and, Lord, being arrested and thrown in prison. You, you take storms of immense magnitude. You, you take shipwreck. You take people threatening your life. You take even uh, time on a, on a deserted island, Lord, and use it for good, if we'll allow you to. And so, Lord, we want to look past the dangers in our lives and the disasters in our lives to that time when you will, in fact, do something beautiful with them. And we pray that you'd help us to see that tonight. Would you bless us as we study your word? We ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. 
Verse 1, Acts 28, and it begins this way in the final chapter. And now when they had escaped, and you see that word escape there if you have a New King James. Uh, it's not escaped as in they escaped from their captors, but they escaped the teeth of the storm. They escaped the perilous journey. They escaped the sh- shipwreck. They escaped, in essence, death itself. They escaped. And from a human perspective, one could say they escaped, or from God's perspective, they were deposited. They escaped. And they then found out that the island was called Malta. So it, it looks like, and this is the thing that I think we can draw from this very first verse, it looks like this is almost circumstantial. It, it's like, how in the world could God have taken a 2,000-mile journey a 460-mile storm that took two weeks, this violent wind, a whole bunch of things that were seemingly mistakes with regard to normal methodologies of sailing, and now a shipwreck where the ship is run aground onto a sandbar and is destroyed. How could God have had a purpose? It looks like, from a human perspective, we escaped. But really, from God's perspective, he planned on depositing Paul and his traveling companions on the island of Malta all along. That's where they were headed. They didn't set out that way. They didn't see it that way. They didn't have a travel brochure that said, hey, you're going to be blown across you know, the deepest part of the Ionian basin of the Mediterranean Sea for two weeks and you're going to end up on this island of Malta. It it didn't say that when they started out, but from God's perspective, because of his sovereign plans, his ability to know all things at all times, he knew exactly what was going to happen. So from his perspective, this is all part of God's plan. And what God plans, he plans for a reason. What God does and allows, he does and allows for a reason. And, And so they found out that the island that they're now on is Malta. And if you look at a a map of that region of the world, and specifically at the nation of Italy, at the bottom of the boot of Italy, we always call it the boot because it looks like a long lady's boot, basically, and then off to what would be the south and the west side is the island of Sicily, a very large island, by the way. And then below that, about 60 miles, and some 320 miles from Rome, is this little island called Malta. And so they now find themselves on this little tiny island. Now, bear in mind, if you're traveling around here in Southern California, we know Catalina's 22 miles out there in the ocean, and it's not very long. It's actually quite, quite a bit smaller uh, than Malta, but it's also only 22 miles out there. Now, imagine that that island is out about 60 miles. So if you look Uh, Maybe it's San Clemente Island or San Nicolas Island, the ones that we can't normally see except on a very clear day from an elevated position. Uh, You can imagine there was not much room for error in God's plan here for them to be run aground on this very small island relative to the size of the Mediterranean Sea. So God did a pretty miraculous thing in shipwrecking them, even though it was just a shipwreck. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And remember, this is the, the 
early winter, late fall now, uh, very late fall or very early winter. And so the winds that are blowing uh, that part of the Mediterranean, we don't often think about snow in that region of the world. Uh, but again, the, the island of Crete has two mountain peaks on it. Both of them are over 8,000 feet tall, and so it does actually snow even in the Mediterranean region, and it certainly snows on, on the higher places, and the wind blowing from the Alps is quite cold. So even though it's a Mediterranean climate, it can still be really nippy that time of year. And so they're on the beach. The rain's falling. It's cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. And so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said one to another, no doubt this man is a murderer. And so you can see uh, the relative worldview come into view for us here in our time. The consensus at that time was under, under what would have been a, a normal thought process of someone living in that region of the world was either Roman or Greek, in this case heavily influenced by the Phoenicians which settled Malta. The Phoenicians came from what is today modern-day Lebanon. They were a seafaring people, a very great seafaring people. And so the island of Malta was established by the Phoenicians. And so the people that were there were the hardy stock. They were used to this type of weather. Uh, they were great at, sea, at seafaring. They traveled across all the Mediterranean. They actually did tremendous trade, and they actually uh, piloted ships. They captained ships and actually took care of some of the other nations' ships, including Rome and including Greece, but they still had a basic understanding uh, of the Roman and Greek pantheon. And so here's what they believed. Uh, you couldn't get away from the gods. And if you were a murderer, then surely Zeus uh, would have pronounced a, a, a curse upon you. That would have been carried out if you were on the ocean uh, whether you were looking at it for a Roman or a Greek perspective, by Poseidon or Neptune. And if Poseidon or Neptune had not proceeded in, in carrying out Zeus's wish, then Nemesis would be sent after you, and Nemesis would hunt you down, and eventually the goddess Nemesis would make sure that something got to you so that you paid the price that was put on your head by Zeus himself. And so... This is where these people are coming from. This is the way they're thinking about these strange new visitors to their island, some 270 of them that have been deposited by this shipwreck. They're believing that the gods, plural, have pushed this ship onto the sandbar, and whatever happens is kind of like Grecian and Roman karma. Okay? And so he gathered a bundle of sticks, laid them on a fire. A viper came out because he'd been fastened on his hand. And so then the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said one to another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. So here's this poor apostle Paul, who's been in this incredible situation of life and death, now some... Nearly, he's traveled now about 1,800 miles or so, all total in his journey. Two weeks of that has been spent drifting across the Mediterranean Sea. And you talk about a bad situation. 
This is a bad situation. It's like you talk about not catching a break. This is not catching a break. I mean, here the apostle has survived all these things. The, the crew was unhappy. Remember, they were going to kill him originally. And then he kind of wins their favor because his decisions are shown to be better than the ship's captain's decisions in general. And so they get off on the land. They have people be nice to him. And the moment somebody's nice to him, he goes and picks up some firewood, puts it on the fire, and lo and behold, there is a Mediterranean viper in there. You're thinking like, man, how much can this poor guy take? Now remember God had told him that the shipwreck was inevitable. So back in chapter 27 we saw that. So it shouldn't, mis- it shouldn't be overlooked here that the Apostle Paul was okay up until the shipwreck. But you've got to be thinking to yourself what the Apostle Paul is thinking about now. It's like, look, you just put me on this murderous, torturous journey of 1,800 miles. I've been two weeks with guys throwing up on me, and now I get bit by a viper. I know that's what I would have been thinking if I was the Apostle Paul. And the reason I say it to you that way is I think we're all prone to say, Lord, why me? Lord, why this? Lord, how come after everything else I've been through, why do I have to be bit on the hand by a viper? And by the way, there there are a few places you do not want to be bit by poisonous snakes. And the hand is one of them. Because it's really close to your heart. It doesn't take very long for that blood to be coursing through your veins and push its way right to where you don't want it to go. And so it's, you know, from the, they say from the waist up, that's the worst part. Legs down, you're going to be okay, generally speaking. But from the waist up, it's a serious matter. So Paul finds himself on the island of Malta after all the plots on his life and the angry mobs and the storms at sea and the shipwreck. In essence, the forces of hell have been against him uh, for quite some time, for the better part of a month. And so he, he arrives and he's thinking to himself, praise God, dry land. And everybody else is saying, well, I don't know who Paul's God is, but he got him to land, just as he said he was. And now all of a sudden, this. And we're going to find out in verse 11 uh, that after three months they're going to get off this island, but they don't know that at this time. Satan is doing his best to finish off the Apostle Paul. And I think there are times, if we're honest, I have certainly gone through these times in my life, I think if we're honest, we will all say that we've gone through periods of time. If you walk with the Lord for any length of time at all, you will say, man, it's like Satan lives in our spare bedroom. You know, it's like every time when I drive to work, Satan is in the lane next to me. It's just like you are being hounded and pounded. Amen? There's just those times in life where it's just one thing after another. But I want you to know how the Apostle Paul responds to this. I want you to see what he does. I want you to see how he takes something that we could all look at and go, man, enough. When's this going to end? When is this trial going to be over? I'm done with this. And yet that's really not the Apostle Paul's response. Matter of fact, he so trusts God 
Because remember, he does, I, I don't think he's thinking at this point in time, you know, well, God's totally forsaken me, but I think he is thinking, oh my, this too? Because God told him he was going to end up shipwrecked. So he's trusting God up to that point. But there are times in our lives that we can see that are parallel to, to so many of the, of the biblical characters, and, and in this case, uh, none greater than the life of Joseph. This is just like one of these Joseph things. In Genesis chapter 50, and of course we'll get there in our study in the book of Genesis, but I think this is a but God moment. This, this is one of those times where you see God step into the situation, something that looks hopeless and something that looks lost and helpless, all of a sudden God indeed does turn it around and use it for good. Uh, and we have to be looking for those times in life. You know, I was talking to a handful of people today after service, and in fact, exactly as the Lord spoke to me this morning, there are, there are a lot of people, and to be very honest and blunt and open with you, I'm one of them, that, that when it comes to Father's Day, when you come from a broken home, it has affected your life for your entire life. That, that divorce, you know, that occurred when I was 11 uh, still has an effect when I'm 62. And so there, there are things that you can't escape in life. And the enemy seizes on those things, and then he piles on a few shipwrecks and a few storms and, and, a, and a few things that you look at and you're like, Lord, is, is this ever going to get better? Is this evil that's occurring? Are you going to actually be able to use this? And the answer is, I say to you emphatically, absolutely, yes, he can use these things for good. And for us who love him, he always ultimately uses them for good. May not see it at the moment. But a little preview of our study in the book of Genesis in chapter 50 and verse 19, it says, but Joseph said to them, and you remember his story, Joseph is, he's despised by his brothers. He's the favored son. He, he's received this beautiful multicolored coat. He has dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him, and they're not too happy about it. You know, you get a bunch of brothers together, and one of them says, hey, you guys are going to bow down to me. That, you're going to get a beat down from your brothers. That's what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Except it was a beatdown, a supreme beatdown. It's like, we're not only going to beat you down, we're going to throw you down. Actually, we're going to throw you into a pit. Then we're going to sell you to some camel traders. And so he ends up in, in the house of Pharaoh, house of Potiphar. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, speaking to his own brothers. The same guys, by the way, that sold him to slave traders, to camel bargainers. Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. And I want you to actually, if you think about it later, maybe jot that down. I am in the place of God. That is excruciatingly accurate English translation of the original Hebrew. In other words, I am in God's place. Or another way to paraphrase it, God put me exactly here. From their perspective, they sold him into slavery. And they had counted him dead. 
From God's perspective, it was an opportunity to place him exactly where he needed to be. And here's how we know that. I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. There is zero doubt that Satan was attempting to bump off the Apostle Paul before he got to Rome. Because if Satan does that, the gospel does not go to Rome. It it does not spread throughout as well as it would from Rome. Uh, It does not spread out to the entire Roman world, which you have to put into perspective, will eventually reach Scotland. Sometimes we think of the Roman world of being centered around the Mediterranean Sea. That's not true. All the way into southern Russia, all of Germany, and the entire British Isles were part of the Roman Empire. So when the gospel goes to Rome, it is going to go out from there to pretty much the known world that's developed at the time. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. From God's perspective, it was a deposit. From man's perspective, it was a shipwreck. Do you see the difference? From a human perspective, it's these circumstances that are all negative, horrible, terrible, and completely undeserved. But from God's perspective, this is God picking up Joseph. This is God picking up Paul. This is God taking someone from one place and saying, you're not really going to like how I'm going to get you there, but trust me, you need to go. In order to bring it about as it is this day. Again, very accurate rendering into English. In other words, the result that is being looked at is not all the intervening years, which were many, but that very day, God had a divine appointment for Joseph, and the way to get him there was to allow the brothers to do evil, which ultimately, notice what it says, but God meant it for good. God uses storms and shipwrecks and perilous journeys. And he did it to save many people alive. There was famine in the land. That's the reason that the brothers will come in Genesis 15. We'll study that when we get there. But this was God working. As hard as that is for us to wrap our little tiny minds around, disasters are still useful in the hands of God. We don't like them. We would avoid them if we can, which there's probably some sanity involved there. You know, anybody that says, you know, I'm looking to have my house destroyed by a tornado this afternoon. Do you know anybody who can conjure one up? You know, you, you probably need to have your brains checked. But the fact of the matter is God uses all these things in our lives. He uses sickness. He uses disease. He uses pain. He uses agony. He uses suffering. He uses lions and tigers and bears, oh my. He does. He uses them. Joseph goes on to say, Therefore do not be afraid, for I will provide for you and your little ones. And he spoke 
kindly and comforted them. You see, they had come down to Egypt thinking that there's a good possibility they were going to die, and instead what they find is someone that God had taken and placed there uniquely for such a time as this. Don't ever underestimate God's ability to do the same in your life. He knows how to move the chess pieces around. For those of you that, that enjoy the game of chess, anyone who actually knows anything about chess, chess is a strategy game. It, it's not just a simple move this here and move this there. It, it all boils down to ultimately one move that puts the other person's king into checkmate instantaneously. God is working that out in your life. He has that final move that he is maneuvering the pieces on the board to get them exactly where they need to go so that he can say, checkmate. That's what I was trying to do. And unfortunately, a lot of times those moves are storms and shipwrecks and vipers. What the devil intended for good, God, or for evil, God turns to good. After two weeks in that storm, some 450 miles west of Fairhaven's Crete, they land on this little tiny island at 60 miles south of Sicily, and still 400, or about, about not quite 400, but about 350, 60 miles, uh, depending on how you travel up the up the coast. To the, to the final destination. It'd be like you and I saying, okay, well now, now we're really close. We have to walk to San Francisco. You know, it'd be the same deal. So he's still not there. He's still got a journey ahead of him. And though this little island, and if you travel there, there's a, there's a bay, as I said last time, that's actually St. Paul's Bay on the island of Malta. And it's actually a beautiful island. And in fact, during that time, many Roman soldiers and gladiators actually retired there. Uh, as, as you might imagine, when you retired as a gladiator or retired as a soldier, you were pretty much done. And so it was more of a place that you went to die more than anything else. So a lot of the people who lived on that island uh, kind of communally existed. They took care of one another. So they, they had the gift in that sense of hospitality. and They're going to use it and share it. Uh, with the Apostle Paul. Uh, And because uh, they were kind of considered barbarians, partly because they were former gladiators, they were former slave warriors, uh, they were also former soldiers, so they they were not necessarily, in, in the sense, and I mean no offense to anyone if you're here and you're in the military, I'm not making the same equivocation, but I am saying at that day and time, these were not the sharpest tools in the shed, but they may have been the strongest tools in the shed. So these folks were were able at one point in time to take care of themselves, but now they kind of needed to be taken care of. And so they took care of one another. And Paul finds a a bundle of of twigs, most likely, or brush. If you look at that island today, there are probably very few trees on it. There aren't many today, even though there were probably more then. Uh, It's highly likely this was a bundle of stones of sticks or twigs or brush. And remember, uh, it's cold. It's damp. And what do snakes do who are ectothermic when it's like that? 
They find a place to hide. They wait it out. They need the sun's heat in order to warm up their bodies so they can move. That's why we call them cold-blooded. That's what ectothermic means. Uh, And so no doubt he just picked up a bundle that had a snake in it. Kind of like Woody. There's a snake in my boot. He goes to toss it in the fire, and the moment the snake starts to warm up, boom, Paul gets bit. And so the Maltese people are, are, they're trying to make sense of this. It's like, man, this guy just got shipwrecked. No doubt Nemesis is after him. She's going to take him down. He should have died in the shipwreck. That's how people see our lives, too. People who don't know the Lord look at your life and they say, oh, man, she's just getting karma. What goes around comes around. You know, you can't escape your destiny. We, we, have, we have a saying in basketball, the ball don't lie. You, you, you watch a bad call on the court and somebody gets a word of free throw and they miss it, ball don't lie. It's like, ball don't lie, man. That was, you weren't supposed, that was not a foul. That's why you missed that shot. We, we think that way. If you take God out of the mix, then it boils down to, you know, the Hindu picture of karma. You know, well, you dished out bad stuff, so you're getting bad stuff back. You dished out good stuff, you get good stuff back. That's how people generally think, even today. And so they're making heads or tails out of this. They're going, man, no wonder Paul got bit. He was supposed to die out in the ocean. But then once that doesn't happen, they've got to think through, okay, now what can we say? What do we do now? What do we say? How do we justify this? How do we balance this out in our heads? Can I tell you that people are looking at your life thinking the exact same thing? When they see you go through a very grave trial, a deeply difficult situation, and you don't die from it, they are looking for the reason why you didn't die from it. So it's an opportunity for us, isn't it? That's where we get to tell them why I didn't die. Why I didn't lose my mind. Why I didn't wig out. Why I didn't move to, you know, Kamchatka, Alaska, or, you know, someplace in the middle of nowhere. and Why I didn't just give up on life. Because they're going to have their reasonings and how we handle these things directly affects how they think about what we give glory to. So the Apostle Paul now has this beautiful thing that happens. But he shook off the creature, and he shook it into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. So they're like, Nemesis has got him. He's going to croak for sure. They're probably all sitting there going, this is going to be good. He's going to croak right in front of us. He just got bit by a snake. We don't have this happen every day. Hey, come on over here. This guy's going to die. They're all sitting around waiting for him to die. He shakes the snake off. 
You know, I've heard all kinds of scientific explanations of what went on here. It was a dry bite. There was no venom. There was blah, 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 blah. The fact of the matter is, God wouldn't have drawn our attention to the fact that it was a viper and it bit him on the hand if it wasn't a poisonous viper and it bit him with venom. Otherwise, he could have just said, and Paul had a beast that touched his hand. Now, the reason it's written this way is it was a poisonous viper bite, and he had venom injected into his hand, but he shook it off. He was supposed to die, but he doesn't. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, I love this. Who wants friends like this? I mean, come on. They're all sitting. Nobody rushes over to give him first aid. They're not saying, hey, can we you know, try and help get that venom out or something? They're all sitting around on their logs waiting for poor Apostle Paul to croak. Looked for a long time and so saw that no harm came to him. They changed their minds and said he was a god. I love this. This is the coolest story. Because this is exactly how God can use you and use me and use us. Because here's, here's the inference. People are going to see you get bit. They're going to see a tragedy in your life. They're going to see a breakdown in, in your life. They're going to see a shipwreck in your life, a storm in your life. They're going to see a perilous journey in your life. And when you shake it off and you don't die, they're going to ask, what is wrong with you? Or in our case, what is really right with you? They're going to think that there's something special about you. In this case... God with little g. But what was actually going on with God was God with a big G was giving the Apostle Paul carte blanche to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me tell you why I didn't die. Because God promised me that I was going to preach in Rome. You see, that's the part of the story they don't know yet, but we do. God said, I'm going to preach in Rome. Matter of fact, the Lord said we were going to be shipwrecked on an island. We're shipwrecked on an island. Oh, by the way, we aren't where we're going to be yet. Just like the Lord hasn't taken you fully where you're going to be yet. So it's an opportunity. What the enemy meant for evil, God is exactly using for good right in front of our eyes in this story. Unfazed by the experience I have to believe that the Apostle Paul wasn't even actually concerned because he trusted God. I believe he believed God. And God had said, though I began this kind of with the human perspective of it, I think from the Apostle Paul's perspective, his faith was such, he's going, well, I got bit by a viper, oh well. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you do nothing if you get bit by a rattlesnake. Uh, I, I can speak from experience because I've been bit by a rattlesnake, so it's not a, not a good idea. Uh, you do need to go to the hospital, seek medical care, and get antivenom if you need that. Uh, in, in my case, uh, they don't know what happened to me because a lot like the Apostle Paul, they were going to give me antivenom, and, and they said, well, you're not really exhibiting. Why don't you just go home and sleep it off? And I thought, maybe I think they're trying to kill me. 
But then I had the craziest nightmares where I saw my own leg crawl away and talk to me. True story. So if you get bit by a viper, go to the hospital. Put a little constriction band on there, get to the hospital. You're probably not going to die, but don't just shake it off, okay? This is the Apostle Paul. This is, this is the guy that we've read so much about. Second Corinthians chapter 11, we'll get there in just a second, gives us this incredible picture. You, you see, life is like that. There's good, there's bad. There's funny things. There's crazy, inexplicable things that happen in our lives. I can't even tell you how many times in my own life I, I look back on it and like, man, I didn't see that coming. That could be the title of the story of my life. Man, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea God was going to do that. I didn't understand why he was going to allow those things into my life at the time he allowed them. But I look back and I go, man, God's really smart. We need to leave God in that place in our lives of trusting him and saying, look, Lord, I know you have this. And so it becomes, rather than a death-dealing snake bite, it becomes an opportunity for the gospel. And oh, brothers and sisters, that's exactly how we need to handle these kind of things. And I realize this is an oversimplification. When you're in the middle of a hurricane, you're, you're probably not going to be thinking instantaneously, oh man, I hope God uses this tomorrow. You're, you're probably going to be cleaning up your front yard or doing whatever you, know, you need to do to get back into the saddle. But God eventually is going to use this for some kind of good in your life. He's going to use it for his intentions and purposes. Verse 7, he goes on, in that region, there was an estate of a leading citizen of the island whose name was, was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So he, he goes from being shipwrecked to now kind of being the, with the governor. It, it, you can almost see how this happened. It's like all of the people on the island who were courteous initially to these 200, nearly 70 people who were shipwrecked on the island, they're all sitting around a campfire. This dude, Paul, goes and gets some sticks, throws it in the fire, gets bit by a rattler, and doesn't die. So they're like, okay, well, let's take him to the governor. But let's go. There's got to be more to this guy. And it's interesting how God opens doors. This is God opening a door. Because this guy's the head guy on this island. He's not going to get to see the head guy on the island if he's dead. Amen? So God never intended to kill him. But he's also probably not going to get to see the head guy if there's nothing spectacular about his life. Now there's something spectacular about his life. How many of you have read books about people who have had spectacular, horrible things happen in their life and it has given them a worldwide platform to be able to speak the name of Jesus. I was talking yesterday with Pastor Bill Welch. Uh, both of us have seen Corey Ten Boom when she was still alive. St- incredible story. And a lot of it's not good. Johnny Erickson taught us. Same exact category. Beautiful young woman who dives shallow into some water, hits her head on a rock, and she's paralyzed for the rest of her life. How God used her being paralyzed to give her access to kings and presidents. And the same is true here for the Apostle Paul. This miracle on the beach 
gave Paul a divine reputation. The snake bite, the shipwreck, the siege voyage, the storm gave Paul a divine reputation. He now has this incredible... This is the dude that just traveled across the Mediterranean during the teeth of the Euroclidon. And he made it to our shores and was shipwrecked and then got bit by a viper. Everybody wants to talk to that guy. Everybody wants to be in his presence. Now add to that these things from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 28. Are they ministers of Christ? Paul says of himself, I speak as a fool, for I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Remember, he was left for dead. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. He got 39 stripes five times. Usually people die from the first time you get 39 stripes. He got it five times. I have no idea what his back looked like, but he didn't go shirtless much. Okay? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. So the shipwreck wasn't the first one. It was the third one. Night and day I've been in the deep. That's probably referring maybe even to this storm. In journeys often, perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen. He had a perilous life. Perils of the Gentiles, perils of the city, perils in the wilderness. Wherever he went, he was in peril. It was a very perilous peril. There was a lot of peril in his being peril. It's like just the word could have been tattooed on his forehead. He had some ink right here, peril man. Perils among the sea and false brethren. Weariness, that wasn't enough. He's nearly beaten to death. He survived three shipwrecks. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings and cold. And Can you imagine if you got a, a potential job offer and this was the qualifications? Well, we want to know if you want to be peril. And you want to have be shipwrecked. And we're going to, oh, by the way, pay you nothing. But you're going to get a chance to share the name of the Lord Jesus. You're, you're probably not going to sign up. No, no person who's actually got active brain cells probably would. But God does, in fact, use these things to put us into very unique situations where he can use us. Who's going to, now you wonder why the apostle, think about this and think about why the apostle Paul authored the book of Romans. And by the time he gets to chapter 8 and reminds us that there's no condemnation and there is there, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? That's why he could say those things. He said, look, my life has been lived out this way for such a long period of time that I kind of look at these things like, well, it's just another thing to go on the list. But God... All of those things could be be added to that bizarre incident now of snake bite. And truly the forces of hell arrayed against him were not going to keep him from God's divine appointments. 
And so, though some of them assumed that Paul was a murderer, now they assume he's God. That's the way the Lord works in our lives. Truth of the matter is, the whole time he was safe in God's hands. He was exactly where the Lord wanted him to be. So for us, for the body of Christ, trials, deep trials, painful trials, horrible things, are really opportunities for us to see God in a way that we would not otherwise see him. And as hard as that is for us to wrap our minds around, that is God's perspective on our trials. He doesn't just see us as, you know, he's not sitting back kind of gleefully going, oh, I hope Jeff can make it through this. This is going to be rich. This is going to be good. He's going to be so messed up when he goes through this trial. That's not what God's doing. He's going, I have a purpose, and I'm going to pick Paul up from Caesarea, and I'm going to put him on Malta, and then I'm going to take him to Rome. That's how God sees it. And all along the way, he's going to use the Apostle Paul. All along the way, he's going to use you. The choice is, will you see it that way? Will you respond that way? You see, he was really, truly making the best of a bad situation. Paul continues to minister in spite of the fact uh, that, you know, about this time, you and I were going, I need a vacation here on the island of Malta, I think I'll go to the south side. I'm just going to hang out until spring comes. Not Paul. Verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. In case you don't know, dysentery is one of the top ten killers still to this day around the world. It actually kills more people than heart disease. Poor water, that gives amoebic dysentery is one of the things it, it absolutely kills people still to this day. And in this case, there was a rare form of it that still exists on that particular island. Uh, it's a bacteria that's found in goat's milk, and it appears to come from the soil on Malta, called Malta fever. It's a, it's a microbe that's in the goat's milk. And Paul went to him and prayed and laid on his hands and healed him. So instead of being worried about the snake bite and its effects and kind of getting some rest, he goes right to work doing the things that God's called him to do. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. This is making the very best of a very bad situation. I love the way the Lord puts this together for us to kind of mull it over in our minds. And so Paul begins kind of a little bit of a healing ministry. And remember, Luke, who's traveling with him, is a medical doctor, so they may well have teamed up and, you know, actually done some, a little mini medical clinic. We don't really know. We're not told. But we know this, they were used of the Lord. Because you can be absolutely assured, though the text does not tell us, that the Apostle Paul was glorifying God the whole time. Because that's what he did everywhere he went. And there's no reason to believe he, you know, skipped out on it. You you see, as a believer, we're actually never off. (laughs) Sometimes we like to think we are, but we're always on. We're actually tools in God's toolbox 24 hours a day, 
uh, every single day of every year. Paul may have been a shipwrecked prisoner as far as the world was concerned, but he was a soldier for Christ as far as God was concerned. He was a minister of the gospel, and he was there to affect people in a wonderful way. And it's kind of a little window into the, into the way our lives work even today. The battle rages around us. There's all kinds of things that are coming our way. We don't know about them. We may not be able to see them until the storm is upon us, until the shipwreck happens. But the fact of the matter is, is God is able in all these things. And we need to remember that. And if in the end, as is this case, you remember back in chapter 14, uh, Paul ran into a similar situation in Lystra where he's, he's healing these people. And, and the, the people there thought that, you know, the apostle Paul was Hermes and, you know, Barnabas is Zeus. And they're, they're getting the same thing because they're, they're looking, you know, they're looking at Mount Olympus going, oh, he must have come from there. You, you see, the viper may have been a weapon of Satan. But God says, that viper is my creation. I'll use it as I see fit. Satan's trying to use it for evil, but I'm going to use it for good. And so often that is the case in our lives. I'm going to bring the worship team back up and while they're making their way this way. I want to share something with you, and, and it just adds to this picture <clears throat> because I really believe that God is constantly doing these things in our life, and this one happens to come from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, that chapter is familiar to most of you. It's the story of David and Goliath. But part of that story is the backstory that makes the story of David and Goliath actually even all the more beautiful. It's a beautiful story in and of itself. It's a beautiful encouragement. But in verse 34 of 1 Samuel 17, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. And so your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of these. Amen. Seeing that he has defiled the armies of the living God. And moreover, David said... The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. It's the same picture. You see, from a human perspective, what father is going to let his kids go run after lions and bears? If you're here tonight and you're a father and you let your kids run after lions and bears, you're going to prison for a very long time. But in this case, the lions and bears were also God's divine appointment. They were things that you would look at and go, man, this is evil. 
We're just herding sheep here. What's the deal with all the wild beasts? Those wild beasts were preparation for Goliath. The snakes were preparation for Rome. And the shipwreck was preparation for the people on Malta. And the sea voyage was preparation for the shipwreck. And on and on and on and on. And God puts together lions and vipers and bears. Oh my. To get us ready for the next thing that he wants to do. You may not like it. You may not want it. But from God's perspective, that which the enemy meant for evil, God has meant for good. Amen? So trust him. You get bit by a viper, shake it off, and go to the hospital. You got a bear in your backyard, make a lot of noise and look big. You got a lion, call the wild animal park. But God can use those things. God can use your shipwrecks, and God can use your storms. And he's going to be with you in them, and he's going to teach you things in those places of life that you would not otherwise know so that he can use you in even greater ways and put you in the household of Publius and put you in the household of Caesar Augustus so that you can tell people about Jesus. Amen? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your blessings to us. We thank you for watching over us always and using all things for your eternal good in our life. And we are so blessed, Lord, to have that opportunity to grow. And Lord, we admit that sometimes life is scary. Lord, the the danger frightens us. And so we ask, God, that you would give us peace in the midst of the storm. Uh, You'd calm our fears when we face the, the lions and the bears and the serpents. And God, that once we've gotten through those times and you show yourself, as you always do, to be faithful that we would be ready to answer that call that Isaiah put forth there in Isaiah 6. Who will go for us and our response will be, here am I, send me. Father, we thank you for loving on us even in our times of storm and blessing us in the face of adversity by your Spirit's work in our lives. And so we give it all to you and ask God that you would make us Fit for your service, Lord. Do what you want with us and to us so that we might be used of you to see men come to faith and be saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastors are up front. and You know, maybe you got bit by a serpent this week. Perhaps a a bear lives in your backyard. Uh, Maybe your ship is currently floating out in the sea somewhere. Uh, perhaps the storm is brewing and you feel a shipwreck coming and you need to pray with somebody about it, I want to just encourage you, uh, come and be prayed with and prayed for and encouraged and strengthened. Uh, And for us who love the Lord, let's really look at some of these experiences in life uh, through the proper lens, which is God's going to use them for our good. Amen?